Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Now, here's a great quote from a psychiatrist, psychotherapist, the man who really founded analytical psychology, Carl Jung. I'm sure that name sounds familiar. Here's what he said. I shall not commit the fashionable stupidity of regarding everything I cannot explain as a fraud. I like that. That really sums up our mission here, too. Let me say it again. I shall not commit the fashionable stupidity of regarding everything I cannot explain as a fraud. Well, amen to that. That quote, incidentally, can be found at the top of the website belonging to the Society for Psychical Research, which was founded way back in 1882. The SPR was the first society to conduct organized scholarly research into human experiences that challenge contemporary scientific models. Dr. Richard Broughton is the president of the Society of Psychical Research, and he joins us from the UK, where it is very early in the morning. Dr. Broughton, how are you? Good morning, Richard. Yes, uh, I am fine, and it is quite early in the morning here, but uh, it sounds like uh, I've... uh joined exactly the right program from that introduction. Thank you very much. There's another great quote on your website from Isaac Asimov, and it says, The most exciting phrase to hear in science, the one that heralds new discoveries, is not Eureka, but that's funny. (laughs) Just expound on that a little bit, because I like that. It's a very very appropriate uh, quote. What did Asimov mean by that? Well, um... Asimov had quite a, a fascination. He's, he's often um, sort of uh, t- uh, trotted out by skeptics and critics as, as somebody who uh, didn't believe in this stuff. But uh, extraordinary powers of the human mind and everything figured largely in, in quite a number of his well-known stories. But I think he's really tapping into that uh, fundamental notion, the excitement of science, which is, you know, something that calls out for an explanation. You know, that's funny. Uh, you know, right. How did that happen? Or 
what's behind that. And I think, you know, that that was the motivation behind the uh, scientists, quite eminent scientists and scholars back, uh, you know, 130, 33 years ago who formed the um, Society for Psychical Research. They were confronting the strange phenomena of uh, spiritualism, which was something of a religion back then, and there seemed to be these powers of the human mind, thought transference, they called it, uh, also action at a distance, what we might call psychokinesis, and, you know, they'd stand back and say, that's funny, <laughs> I wonder what's behind that. So that's uh, very much the sort of spirit of inquiry, and uh, I think the challenge that um, these phenomena continue to present um, so many years later. Could you uh, explain what a parapsychologist does? Uh, struggles. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I can imagine. <laughs> yes. Well, it's uh, certainly a parapsychologist is a uh, more recent term. Um, they, 130 years ago, they called themselves psychical researchers, but uh, parapsychologists um, really, they're, they're generally trained in more conventional areas of science. I mean, myself, I'm a psychologist, research psychologist. Um, many of us are, have backgrounds in physicists. I'm sure, you know, many have appeared on your program, so you've seen this variety. But um, we see our challenge as trying to understand these mental phenomena. So, um, you know, I mean, I spent most of my career in a laboratory. Um, others do field research. Um, we struggle very hard to get funding for this sort of research. Um, but I think our common bond is that um, we're still puzzling over these phenomena. Uh, you know, there's quite a spectrum of opinions, and certainly I have to be careful, the SPR as an organization does not hold corporate opinions, but the, the, our members, of course, will range the, across the spectrum of uh, how they uh, regard the evidence for the various phenomena. I, uh, I had the, the, the pleasure of, of spending an afternoon in the home of Russell Targ, Mm -hmm. um, uh, several years ago, uh, taping an interview for my my television program, and and uh, uh, Russell uh, very obviously involved in in uh, the same sort of work at the Stanford Research Institute, and um, you know in developing the the remote viewing program and so forth. Uh, and Russell Targ said to me, he said there is more evidence uh, for psychic abilities and ESP then there is evidence that uh, bare aspirin cures headaches. What do you make of that, uh, that statement? Uh, well, it's, um, yes, I mean, I, I know Russ. He's uh, one of our, I mean, we're a relatively small band of intrepid explorers, really. And, um, I mean, Russ has, been, has spent most of his life doing that. Um, that actually is um, related to a particular type of uh, statistical analysis that has emerged over the last decades where uh, scientists in different fields, including medicine, obviously, with aspirin, will use a technique called meta-analysis to aggregate 
the results of many different experiments, but similar experiments where you can compare the results. And this was applied very early to parapsychology, um, as it was uh, to various medica- medical issues. And the f- I mean, one of the funny thing is, funny things is that when they look at the results of aspirin, small doses of aspirin to prevent second heart attacks, the effect, what's called the effect size, how strong the evidence is, is very small. But on the basis of that, of course, doctors around the world began prescribing um, aspirin to prevent second heart attacks. If you look at a comparable um, line of research in parapsychology, and one that was used as a a technique called the Gonsfeld, again, I'm, I'm sure you've heard that on your program before. Right. It turns out that our effect sizes for our phenomena were far stronger than that for aspirin, yet it's very difficult to get um, any kind of scientific consensus to say, ah, there's something happening there. Certainly not in the mainstream. I I asked you earlier about, you know, what a parapsychologist does, and you say, well, they struggle, Uh, which leads me to this question, and um, I, I don't mean it to be flippant, uh, but do you have uh, uh, colleagues who um, maybe look down their nose at you and say, you know, why don't you, you know, use your your skills and your ability to to study something more important, more relevant? Do you get that a lot? Um, not quite in the. I mean, not quite so politely. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. I didn't think I was being that um, polite. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it, there are a lot of people. I wouldn't necessarily call them colleagues because I think almost anybody working in parapsychology, uh, certainly in my career in university, maybe I've just been lucky, um, we actually earn a fair amount of respect. I mean, people might think we're barking up the wrong tree, but when you work with other scientists and other colleagues, um, they you know they realize that, you know, you're just another one of them, uh, you know, trying to tackle some particularly knotty problems. Uh, so, you know, perhaps just fortunate, but I've had people who think, you know, they might say, you're wasting your time, there's nothing there. Um, but I haven't quite had that dismissal. Now, I would entirely, I, I mean, I know a lot of other people who have had to suffer a lot of indignities, some of actually kind of been drummed out of academic jobs, lost, uh, didn't receive tenure and things like that um, for that. And, uh, you know, it's very much couched in those terms. You know, look, you're a clever, clever lad or lass. You know, why don't you use your talents to do something useful? But, you know, um, you know, as you, you know, shows like yours very much illustrate, um, there are a lot of questions out there that deserve answers and you know somebody's got to tackle them uh, let's talk about some some members projects uh, that are going on uh, r- right now um, uh, Richard is there one that uh, you are uh, that you personally are uh, involved with well you mean in terms of research yes there's well, there's a, there's a couple. I'm actually retired from the university I was at the University of Northampton that has a um, a small center 
of, uh, again, intrepid parapsychologists who are looking at a variety of uh, phenomena. Um, my own research, uh, which I'm still following, although obviously not actively in the lab, has to do with um, oh the role of the brain in... Um, mediating some of the phenomena that we look at. I mean, my particular interest has been in extrasensory perception um, that, uh, you know, obviously has been covered um, in various forms on your show, things like remote viewing. Um, and my interest has been in how the emotional system might mediate this information. Uh, and uh, again, Probably, unlike a lot of my colleagues, um, I look at these phenomena as probably um, a product of evolution. You know, the way oh, really? Interesting. All, all the rest of our faculties have evolved. And, um, you know, I mean, it, I spent a lot of my career trying to, to argue that strange as these phenomena, and I, when I say these phenomena, I'm not trying to include all of the stuff that gets lumped into parapsychology or psychical research. I mean, I've sometimes described it as, uh, you know, quite a, uh, a bundle of, uh, of problems that uh, we have to solve. But I've been looking at the extrasensory perception aspect of that, and I've always been fascinated by the uh, you know, the evidence that um, the probably the larger bulk of these experiences don't have pictures in the head. You know, they don't, they're not involving distant images and things like that. They really involve our feelings, um, which we then interpret in different ways, often changing behavior uh, in some ways that you know, is very useful, like avoiding something that could have killed us, etc. You know, it's it's. We often talk about this as intuition, um, and intuition, I think, has a, a lot of dimensions to it. Many of them explicable by quite normal psychology. Sure, heightened sensory awareness, but the five senses: a greater sense of smell. Uh, uh, and you know we often ascribe that to the women women's intuition and and but mm -hmm. I think we we know now that that women have a greater sense of smell, perhaps even a more uh, acute sense of hearing. They can differentiate between a baby crying because it's wet or a baby crying because it's hungry. Um, but you're saying that beyond those five senses, well, uh, that's that's exactly yes, Richard. You're right right on there. That if evolution has given us this marvelous information processing and information uh, taking in the senses, if there is some way for consciousness to kind of have a window on future events, would it not have developed that, you know, and in a way that would allow us to anticipate uh, the future? Maybe not all the time through pictures in the head, in a sense, or dreams, but feelings. So, uh, you know, that's the the path that I've been taking, and uh, and uh, I, I mean, I wish I could say I had more answers, but it uh, it certainly seems like um, a lot of this information is being mediated through our emotional systems, and 
you know, the big ads, the big questions remain, you know, how could one get information from the future? How could one get information from distant places without any kind of intervening medium? But I'm relatively convinced that, um, you know, our emotional system, our feelings uh, at a very deep level is is involved in, in transducing this weird information into something we can use. And this is maybe beyond your purview, but let me uh, let me just throw out a, uh, an idea here, uh, and we can jaw on this a little bit if you'd like. And that is, yeah, perhaps the answer may lie uh, in the in the possibility that consciousness resides outside of time and space. It's yeah. Um, I know colleagues will argue along those lines. I don't know that it's at this point necessary to posit that. I mean, we're finding that consciousness, I mean, and this is not parapsychology, physics has found that consciousness seems to play a kind of an interesting role in in quantum mechanics, and again, even within physics, that's hotly debated, but I, you know, I would come back to the idea that it may not need to be outside of the body, that again, Rooting it in evolution, and at this point, you know, one certainly in the conventional sciences, one would say that consciousness is probably more or less limited to the body. Um, we, you know, what can can we work with that as a basic principle? How does that um, help us answer things? And um, it 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 could work that way. Uh, and what I'm saying is that, you know, I'm kind of waffling, <laughs> quite frankly. Well, we're all scrabbling around in the dark. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's hard not I to waffle when we're talking about these sorts of things. Yeah. I don't know that it's necessary to say that consciousness is, uh, you know, outside of time and space. Um, again, you know, what will the future tell us about these things? But, um, you know, I, I'm, again, my position has been to try to build on what we you know what there's a general consensus i mean the science generally progresses by trying to link the what we don't understand with as much of what we do understand as possible and you know certainly again that's been my philosophy looking at the emotional system because really just in the last couple decades we've learned an enormous about amount about how the emotional system has been involved in our decision making um you know we've often thought of ourselves as rational beings um in fact we're not <laughs> our rationality comes in almost at a later stage you know we're we're, we're rational when we want to um, explain decisions that we've already made at an emotional level. Sure, I mean, just look at the the, the world around us. I mean, it's it's mm. pretty hard to argue that this planet is being run by rational people. Uh, it, does this does this mean then uh, that one day we, if your, I don't know if I want to call it a theory, but the idea that there, there may be a more prosaic um, explanation for perceived psychic ability, that it is, I mean, does that mean, let me just jump right in, does that mean one day we may find a gene for psychic ability? Um, well, uh, I mean, there's a couple things. One is, um, starting, first of all, yes, it would be um, 
probably saying too much to call it a theory. It's more like a hunch. Um, and I, I don't know that I would kind of call it too prosaic. I mean, there's still... Um, I'm looking at one small component in a rather complex phenomenon. If we're getting information from the future, it's you know it's not so much taking the mystery out of it. It's just doing what science does is trying to understand it. True. How we're getting no, that's a good point. I guess I'm, I'm I guess I'm in, in relative terms where you know the idea that perhaps the consciousness exists exists outside time and space, and and your hunch. Um, you're right. Prosaic is not the right is not the right word. Uh, anyway, sorry. Uh, continue. Uh, so back to the the gene question. Well, I mean, if my hunch is correct that it, it's um, something that evolution has uh, given us, then you're absolutely you know spot on. There should be some genetic component to it, um, and indeed there has been a tradition of um, you know so well like in, among the Scots and the Irish the second sight or the sight has always been a kind of uh, reported to have familial um, tendencies that it's passed down usually but not exclusively through the female line um, there have been limited number of experiments where blood relatives did exceptionally well in conventional ESP studies. Um, so one would expect it. You know, if, if my hunch is correct, then, you know, yes, it should be something that uh, has a genetic component. Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Um, I was curious to read on uh, your website that one of your members... Uh, was writing a blog and happened, uh, was offering advice to, uh, I guess, journalists and media people that were interested in sort of, you know, writing about or covering certain paranormal, so-called paranormal uh, activities like ghosts. And this, uh, the writer, the member, happened to mention that his girlfriend has a PhD in ghosts. Do you know uh, who I'm referring to? PhD in ghosts. Um, I I just I, I just found that fascinating that there that it was possible to actually earn a, a PhD in um, ghosts. I had not heard of that. Surprised as you are, I'll have to go check. <laughs> but uh, I mean, we, we I mentioned earlier about you know the idea of perhaps consciousness residing outside of of the body, and and uh, um, which sort of leads me into the next area, and that is sort of the whole investigation into near death experiences, where we have. Um, uh, let's say, for example, someone undergoing um, open heart surgery uh, and is declared, uh, you know, uh, dead for a period of time, perhaps on the table. And during that period, when there was no um, heartbeat and, and so forth, and uh, they they have memories of you know floating above the body and and overhearing what doctors were saying as they as they were working on the on on the patient and so forth um, where are you at in terms of uh, you know investigating that whole phenomenon which to me you know is probably one of the most popular things that we discuss on this show and that is mm. the possibility of life after death or uh, the consciousness surviving physical death Mm-hmm. Boy, put your finger on a hot one. <laughs> well, 
Well, yeah, I mean, near-death experiences, uh, obviously, uh, since you, you've covered this, uh, your listeners would know, you know, as you're saying, that they they are these memories that of 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 consciousness, really, when all the life signs, the vital signs, were indicating this person should be dead. Um, and it's something which is, uh, you know, an area of study which has burgeoned as medical science has been able to revive people and bring people back from the brink of death. Uh, so there are more and more examples. And, boy, uh, you know, I'd have to be honest, this is one of those areas that, challenges me because <laughs> as you might glean from my uh you know the way i've been portraying my own interests that i do lean toward a more conservative uh interpretation of these phenomena i don't know that you know i'm not ready to embrace the idea of consciousness having a separate existence but it's precisely the sort of near-death experience phenomena and evidence that challenges me, makes me a bit um, uncomfortable because like so many uh, things in, in our field, one can't dismiss the evidence out of hand. And, and there's better and better evidence being brought forward uh, all the time. Uh, some Dutch researchers have summarized it. There's uh, um, quite a lot of uh, you know, continuing research, uh, a group down at the University of Virginia in Charlottesville uh, have made this a, a major area of their study. So uh, there is evidence out there. Um, is the interpretation, you know, can we settle on an interpretation yet? I think that's the, the um, where the debate is. Um, one interpretation is that Consciousness seems to have a separate existence from the body because if the body dies, um, we have evidence that consciousness is continuing. On the other hand, the others will say that, well, we don't really know that the brain has totally stopped working just because, you know, the, the EEG trace has flatlined and, um, you know, so, uh, I, I, I can say there is work going on here, but I don't know, really. I'm not going to plunk down for an answer one way or another. Well, this would be, uh, to me, it would seem to be the most difficult, one of the most difficult uh, areas to actually study, because if we're talking about psychic abilities, for example, you know, you, you, you can certainly, under laboratory conditions and use, uh, employing the scientific method, you can... Uh, you can test an individual uh, for their psychic ability and, and so forth. Uh, but when we're talking about uh, something as elusive as, a, as an out-of-body experience or a near-death experience, how does one, other than anecdotally, go over cases and so forth? How do you study that? Yes. Um, I mean, again, not, you know, not to be too flippant, but you can't make an experimental science out of near-death experiences. Um, out-of-body experiences, yeah, it's, um, it is all based largely on testimony. Um, one or two uh, kind of very clever experiments trying to uh, detect the, the, the out-of-body, uh, you know, uh, at some distance have been tried, but they're, 
Uh, the, the, the evidence isn't really very conclusive. It's a matter of dealing with testimony after the fact. Um, you know, I mean, in fact, that's part of, I guess, the challenge that psychical research has started right from the beginning is that so much of this is based on human testimony. And, you know, yeah, there's problems with human testimony and memory and everything, but you can't dismiss it all. And so things like out-of-body experiences, near-death experiences, um, you know, still cry out for better explanations than we have and not dismissive explanations. It's, it's easy, you know, it's, that's the easy way out is to say, oh, it's faulty memory or it's, uh, you know, something else. But, you know, I think we'll be missing something. I wanted to ask you about um, the amazing Randy, uh, noted skeptic, debunker, really, of uh, mm-hmm. all things paranormal, and his famous million-dollar challenge, where he uh, insists that he will pay out a million dollars to anyone who can, I'm not exactly sure of the, the exact wording of, of his challenge, but anyone who can you know, demonstrate, um, I guess scientifically or beyond a reasonable doubt, that... Um, you know that they they can demonstrate some sort of uh, paranormal, supernatural uh, ability. Mm. W- what do you make of, of of that of that challenge? I mean, it, it, uh, it, not much. I mean, I've you know encountered Randy from time to time over the years. Um, the challenge is, I mean, he's he's basically he's a showman. Um, he's He's thrown this challenge out. Um, it turns out, if you look at it, it's you know ringed in various conditions and uh, uh, you know circumscribed by a whole bunch of different um, strings, if you will. Really, it's got a lot of strings attached, and you know he's looking for a kind of one-shot uh, demonstration that will answer the question. Science doesn't really work that way. Um, you know, it, it it would be like asking, you know, a particle physicist, uh, you know, should we have Simon Cowell organize a um, celebrity panel to decide if there's a Higgs boson, you know? <laughs> um, I mean, Randy, I have to give credit to one of my colleagues for that line, but, uh, uh, you know, I mean, Randy's, he's not a scientist, he's a showman, and his whole shtick is to prove that this stuff is nonsense, so... You know, what kind of fair challenge would that be? And I know, I mean, Randy told a friend of mine a long time ago that, uh, a fellow magician, you know, that, you know, he's a magician. I always have a way out, you know, so it's, uh, it's not like it's been a fair test. And, and that said, in fact, I again know of colleagues in the field, uh, who have proposed tests, um, to him, and they, of course, then get, referred to his committee and uh, in all cases they've never been followed up um, the ones that look like you know they might be successful or if um, you know the scientist wants to begin some kind of serious negotiations in terms of what evidence would you accept um, you know this isn't a stage trick it's not something we're going to do out in front of an audience, but, you know, can we meet on some sort of um, middle 
ground in in scientific procedure, and um, they never get followed up. They're always dropped. So, um, without putting you, know, you on the spot, I, I could have, you could you maybe explain what one of those experiments that were proposed to Randy were? What they entailed? Or I don't want to put you on the spot, but yeah, I I mean I've not been directly involved. I know some years ago. Um, uh, a colleague, a Dutch colleague of mine, um, along with um, you know a couple other scientists, um, tried to um, interest him in a statistical procedure again, which would uh, you know uh, because all uh, most of our results, as we were talking about, even with you know back about the aspirin study, I mean we don't we don't have stage demonstrations. I mean that's Randy's bit, you know, if he wants right. to get somebody who's going to try to be psychic on stage that's his business but what we look at is human you know psychological abilities and uh, you know they're they're a lot more sensitive to the environment so uh, he was proposing something that again would which would try to meet Randy's challenge on you know a halfway terms in, ter- in, in terms of the statistical stuff and this one just never really got very far because uh, I don't think Randy knows much about statistics. It was referred to his committee. Um, I believe also um, another name that you probably know, Rupert Sheldrake. You know, that's funny. I was just going to ask you about about uh, the sense of being stared at and, and uh, where we are. In- and his, he's, uh, his biologist, he became quite interested in the phenomena of dogs anticipating when their owners come home. Yes, Yes, um, and uh, he's actually tried to organize, or or possibly people on his behalf have tried to organize uh, something with Randy. And again, it uh, it just seems to be a non-starter. That uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, talk at the beginning about uh, you know referring this to his committee and everything, and then you know the line goes dead, so to speak. So it's it's. Um, I regard the challenge as part of his rhetorical shtick. You know, this is how he makes his living. Um, you know, this is a guy that owes owes a lot to Yuri Geller because if it, if it wasn't for Yuri sure. Geller, sure, and the Tonight Show, yes. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, uh, you, you mentioned Sheldrake, and and uh, um, the, the dog experiment is fascinating too. But the um, I was. Uh, Going to pursue the, um, the the sense of being stared at uh, mm-hmm. and um, the empirical data um, there. I mean, the the idea that there may be um, some sort of a non magnetic spin field uh, located around the body that that might account for this. You know, the, the idea for those not familiar with Sheldrake's work, the, you know, that's, that sense that you have, that you are being stared at, and then when you turn around, uh, sure enough, you are being stared at. You know, what what is behind mm-hmm. that? Where are we in terms of the empirical data? I mean, uh, what sort of empirical data do we have? Well, again, a large body of uh, statistical evidence of experiments. I mean, what you describe is um, you know what people feel. Um, you wouldn't do an experiment quite that way, of course, because you know there'd be a lot of sensory leakage. And what what Sheldrake has gone on to do is create these automated um, kind of experiments where people uh, do the staring tests uh, in a way of that they would not be. Um, 
there would be no sensory context uh, or you know any uh, sensory leakage and uh, yes like a lot of other parapsychological phenomena there is uh, a number of well-conducted experiments that demonstrate uh, beyond chance that these these there is some phenomenon there um, is it being stared at is it a kind of ESP phenomenon uh, we don't know but I, I'd say the evidence that Sheldrake has produced is um, you know as good as any other in the field Uh, just uh, looking at a, at a website here, uh, unexplained-mysteries.com, uh, and an article written by Brendan D. Murphy, uh, The Hidden Energy Behind the Sense of Being Stared At. And this is something I wasn't aware of, but uh, Dr. Broughton, you probably uh, are, that the experiments into this particular um, field go back to the early 1900s. And um, uh, they talk about the forced field around the body, uh, which was identified by, I believe it was uh, a Dr. Hippolyte, uh, it was dubbed the vital current, and um, others called it animal magnetism, but the idea was, that the, the belief was, the, the flow of this current could be modified through focused intent as a result of several years of research. Uh, they believe that there was a transmission of power and force between people when one person looked at another attributable to a ray emanating from the eye. Now, is there any empirical data that, that this, if there, you know, to, to prove that this vital current exists and that, th- th- can it be measured? Mm, in a word, no. Um, that, uh, I mean, the, the, the notion of animal magnetism, certainly the idea of a, a current, I am, I mean, I'm aware of these speculations. I'm not aware of any really serious ev- evidence, uh, experimental evidence for this. I mean, that was part of the, um, the mesmeric tradition of, you know, the animal magnetism, um, that, again, that was one of the things that, uh, was at the root of the Society for Psychical Research. One of their first briefs was mesmerism and uh, the associated phenomena of animal magnetism. And, you know, there was no evidence for rays. And in fact, you know, we are pretty well skilled nowadays at, at measuring emanations and, you know, waves of the conventional sort. So, you know, it's it's easy to hypothesize it's something, oh, that we can't measure, and it's, uh, you know, some sort of mystical ray or something like that. Um, it it doesn't, it really doesn't help, uh, and there's, there's not a lot of um, evidence that I'm aware of uh, to support this. I mean, yes, there was a lot of early specula- speculation along these lines, but... Nothing that has held up uh, things like um, the mesmeric, you know, hypnotism as we call it now, is is reasonably well understood. This, uh, you know, in terms of how that operates, and it it didn't need um, any kind of special forces. Um, but as far as how being stared at works, um, you know, that's that's 
where we end up with with a lot of our phenomena, whether you're talking about ESP, um, we we have the evidence. We are a long way from any kind of real explanation, and the explanations need to be again grounded in something that we can test. And uh, you know, at, at this point mental rays uh, probably one of the first things that was looked for and again we don't have evidence for that uh, do you are you i don't know if dismayed is the right word but do you find that in an attempt to explain many of these types of phenomena psychic phenomena etc uh that people throw out you know quantum mechanics uh willy-nilly oh it's quantum mechanics Mm. Um, of, oh, it's particle entanglement, that, that sort of thing. Uh, mm. Is that a disturbing trend, uh, are they, or are, they, are, are people who, who throw that out there on the right track? Um, it, well, it is a bit dismaying when it's done carelessly, uh, or, you know, too freely. Uh, you know, quantum mechanics, uh, you know, has its own mysteries. Consciousness uh, seems to have a, a a role in there, but even within the experts in the field, that's that's hotly debated in terms of how it it actually functions. Um, it it would, you know, at best level, when handled by qualified physicists, and indeed, um, you know, there are eminent physicists interested in parapsychological phenomena, working on it, um, you know, to this day, not. Not very heavily, but uh, it is an interest, and it is possible. Uh, you know, my own hunch again is that the explanation for how consciousness might interact with information from the future may have a quantum basis to it, but um, it doesn't help to just wave hands and say, "Oh, yes, there's a consciousness field," and uh, or that quantum mechanics will explain it. Um, you know, it's just trying to explain one mystery with something else that we understand only slightly better, but not fully. Um, which leads me to the, the next area, which is uh, uh, energy healing, sometimes referred to as faith healing, mm-hmm. uh, and. Uh, um, uh, people that uh, uh, practice this will talk often about things like subtle energies. Mm-hmm. Is is there a subtle energy? Can it be measured? Ah, this is. I mean, actually, some of my colleagues. Uh, in fact, I think you would find this on the the website. Um, some of my uh, colleagues at the University of Northampton just did a very large study, uh, a meta analysis of healing studies, exactly that kind, non-contact healing. And, um, well, the, the evidence suggests that it works, that, you know, in very carefully controlled studies, how it works, um, don't know. I mean, again, the practitioners will often speak of an energy, because that's how it feels to them, that they, they're transmitting an energy. Um, the evidence for some kind of energy that we can measure is not good. There doesn't seem to be any anything measurable. Of course, the proponents who want to see it as an evidence, as as an energy, will say, "Ah, but you just don't know how to measure it yet." Um, but I, it, 
uh, you know, I wouldn't dismiss the evidence for non-contact healing, therapeutic touch and all of these things. Um, the evidence is quite good. I was actually at the presentation in London um, not too long ago, actually, in um, one of the uh, buildings used by uh, Parliament down here to the Federation of Healers groups. And, um, yes, this, this stuff works, but we don't know how, and it's... It doesn't help to just sort of say, oh, there's an energy field there. Um, there may be, but at the moment, um, we have no evidence for a field or an energy being transmitted as such. When you say this stuff works, what did you, what did you witness? Uh, what scientific evidence did you uh, witness that would lead you to, to make that pronouncement? Unfortunately, I mean, it's in, in so many cases, what I witnessed was a whole bunch of numbers on slides. Um, you know, I don't actually do this stuff, but it's um, improvements of various conditions uh, after the, uh, the ministrations, if you will, of therapeutic touch of non-contact healing. Um, a number of studies now have shown that the outcomes, people getting better quicker, uh, from various maladies um, that, you know, if you bring in a, a healer um, that this seems to improve it, improve their conditions. Now, of course, it's very difficult research to do because there are expectancies effects and uh, placebo effects and things like that. And they've tried to exclude all of these things and still find that, um, you know, overall, there is a um, not a very strong effect because you're aggregating a lot of very mixed studies, but there is evidence that again warrants further study. You know, we can't we can't just dismiss it. In uh, other words, it's statistically significant. Oh yes, yeah, statistically significant. Um, the um, you know, but it's uh, you know, it's a far cry from saying you know seeing somebody take up their palate and walk, you know, it's, it's right, people right. getting better and, uh, you know, statistically people come up with, you know, their better outcomes and, uh, uh, you know, in, in healing studies than, than people who are not treated or people who are treated by sham healers, people who aren't really uh, healers, just act like them, you know, so... Well, I, I, I wanted to ask you about uh, John of God, and, and uh, if you had any thoughts on. I mean, you you have no doubt, you know, watched the YouTube videos and, and so forth, and, and, and read the accounts of of what this um, purported healer down in Brazil is, is doing. What, what are your thoughts on on John of God? Anything there that sort uh, of strikes? I would have to confess, no, I haven't followed him. Brazil has thrown up a load of healers over over the years, and. Um, you know, I'd have to confess this isn't my specialty, healing and um, dealing with that kind of uh, phenomena. I mean, I've been fascinated really going back to people like Arrigo, the um, surgeon who used to do um, operations on the eyes and stuff, with right, knives right. and things. Um, Brazil's been a hotbed of, um, of healing, and it, it's it's very difficult to investigate these people um, because, you know, there's no way of getting away from the fact that in many cases there's been evidence of fraud, um, you know, out and out being caught um, uh, 
fabricating, uh, well, I mean, pulling tumors out of people that turn out to be animal tissue and things like that, they claim that it's part of the healing process. But I don't know. I mean, I again, I would have to um, defer any comment on this particular chap because I haven't been following that that literature. It's it's fascinating stuff, but really tough, really dangerous uh, in, in terms of trying to go out on a limb for any of that. Uh, have you, uh, or has your uh, organization, your members, uh, have they done any recent studies on the uh, EVP, uh, the electronic voice phenomena in, in terms of mm. uh, spirit communication and so forth? Not recently. Again, some of our members, and again, this isn't, you know, these the members of the Society for Psychological Research are a very diverse group. Sure. And, uh, you know, it's just we happen to know of people who have done that. EVP, nothing's been done recently because um, the last published studies that I'm aware of um, pretty much came to the conclusion that there's really no evidence of um, anything paranormal happening in EVP because uh, you know and essentially listening to what sounds like white noise and of course um, you know the human brain human mind is exceptionally well adapted to try to find patterns in things and it was essentially people finding patterns in in noise and um, I know there are still enthusiasts out there um, but I just don't find that stuff very convincing and like I said, the last stuff that the SBR published in its journal really didn't didn't find much evidence. Uh, how much of the library is is online? Um, there's a couple things. The almost a lot of the publications are online. In fact, the entire run of the journal of the Society for Psychical Research can be found. We actually have. Um, a partner organization called Lexian, L-E-X-S-C-I-E-N, uh, which you can, is linked from from the SPR website. Okay, we're just about uh, out of time, Dr. Broughton. Uh, leave us with that website, if you will. Okay, spr.ac.uk, and also, as you would expect, on Facebook and Twitter. Excellent. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Oh, I've enjoyed it. It's really a pleasure talking to you, Richard. Thank you. We'll do it again, Dr. Richard Broughton. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting.